How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day welcome to locked on bucks this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. you can use the promo code l-o-b-u-c-k-s again that's l-o bucks to get a 20 dollars rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase so go ahead and take advantage of that today i'm eric name joining me again today is frank men frank how are you uh i'm good um uh, I, I don't want to. I, I don't want to jinx anything. My my dog, which I mentioned the other day, has been was doing poorly over the weekend. M- might be doing better uh, at the risk of jinxing. I know a few people have said nice things on Twitter, so I appreciate everybody. Uh, everybody throwing a shout out uh, to uh, to my my little dog. Um, I was gonna say, uh, longtime followers of me on Twitter may recall me tweeting uh, pictures of. My uh, my wife and I have two dogs. Um, I I was fortunate enough to get them via marriage, but uh, I now call them my own. Uh, my wife made Jabari Parker and Giannis Adetokounmpo jerseys <laughs> for for my two dogs, which people may have seen at some point. It's and, a, uh, they they are adorable in those. They, they're adorable little animals, uh, and because they're wearing Bucks jerseys, I'm now allowed to mention them on this podcast. And <laughs> I'd have to go back and check, but it was pretty eerie. I could have sworn that Lola was the one wearing the Jabari jersey and she got sick on Thursday, literally like 12 hours after Jabari goes down with the ACL. I don't, I don't know. Bad, bad stuff, man. Bad. Oh man. Bad, bad stuff. So, um, anyway, I hope, uh, little Lola, uh, gets back, back out of this. And, um, obviously we hope that Jabari, uh, is, is, uh, comes out on the other side of this, uh, as the same physical specimen that he was going in. Um, he did have his surgery today, uh, or today is uh, Tuesday. So um, interesting. The first time he tore his ACL, there was about a 20, 21 day lag. I think it was on January 5th that he had his first surgery after injuring it on December 15th, 2014. Um, and you may recall he then came back officially. His first game was November 4th. So, um, you know, that gives you guys some sense of the timeline. So about 10 full months coming back the first time, uh, we've heard 12 months recovery period this time around. He had the surgery, um, you know, within a week of the first or sorry of, of the injury this time around. Um, and you know, again, I'm, I, I, I think like a lot of people, I'm obviously, concerned you know coming out from a second uh tear of the same acl you know what does that mean what additional risks are there is Jarrett bar going to be the same guy what's the chance that you know he's diminished athletically all that stuff i mean i don't have a good answer for that because i think the data on especially nba athletes is so limited on this um you know we know michael red tore his acl a couple times late in his career and he had some super depressing stuff to say about it on the broadcast on what was it Friday, I guess. Um, yeah, I think so. 
I don't know if they realized how depressing that whole conversation was about him. You know, they were talking about, oh, Jabari's going to develop his, you know, you have to become Paul Pierce and all stuff. And it's like, you know, basically just subtext being like, well, he's not going to be athletic anymore. And then Michael Red talking about how in his last year in Phoenix, he was, you know, paranoid about tearing his ACL again and then retired because he sort of didn't want to deal with that anymore. It's like, great. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for coming. Real feeling great. Feeling great about Jabari's second ACL. Um, but obviously the positive is that Jabari is much younger and, and obviously that probably had a fair bit to do with him recovering and looking more athletic after the first one. Um, but it, it is interesting. Uh, Dr. Robert Laprade, I think his name is pronounced. Um, he, uh, I mean, his Twitter handle is at Nidoc. So, I mean, at you know, the Nidoc, T H E Nidoc. So, so I mean, not just a Nidoc. No, the, the Nidoc. Nidoc. Um, you know, I was just poking around on his website, and it's actually really interesting. If if anybody is interested in in ACL surgeries and you know, sort of the the gruesome details, um, there are videos which are gruesome, but um, but also just sort of the the technical detail of of it. It's it's a really interesting site, and um, he has a fair bit on revision surgery, which I guess is what they call sort of a second tear, so a tear of a reconstructed um, knee ligament. And that's obviously interesting because that's obviously Jabari's case and it's it's a unique situation. Um, it was kind of interesting because I remember I'm trying to people tweet at us if you can think of other guys who've torn the same knee, torn the ACL on the same knee twice. There have been a bunch of guys in the NFL that have done it. Um, there are obviously a lot more NFL players as well. But in the NBA, I've been trying to figure out who's done it, done the same knee twice and read later in his career. Um, Robbie Hummel from Purdue, people may remember, did it twice in the span of six months. Um, and actually, his second surgery was done by David Alchek, who did Jabari's first knee surgery. You know, not clear why David Alchek didn't do the second one. Alchek also, I believe, did MCW's hip and Tyler Ennis's shoulder. He, w- um, he was who I was assuming was going to do this right. surgery for Jabari. Right. He's from the, I believe it's the New York Hospital for Special Surgery or something like that. Yeah. Um, when they, he's, and again, I, I don't know if that's, as part of the new ownership and new training staff, if that's, you know, he seems like he's done a number of things for, for bucks players since uh, the last few years. But, um, but uh, this surgery uh, done by Dr. Robert, uh, Robert LaPrade. And um, there's, uh, as we said, there, there's a bunch of stuff on his website. Just Google, Google his name. I, I tweeted out a link to his website and there is a fair bit on revision surgeries and a lot of the, the technical details of why it's sometimes more difficult. And I'll, I'll leave it at that just because I'm not going to try to, you know, I'm out of my depth here uh, in explaining it. Um, it seems like there obviously are sort of technical reasons to consider it. And, um, you know, I, I don't know exactly if they're what kind of differences they may do uh, this time around, because usually they usually in, in these in, in, you know, these kind of major athletes, um, they'll take basically a tendon from another part of the body, either the patella tendon or uh, part of a hamstring and uh, and put it in there. And, I, you know, to be honest, I don't remember. I, I for some reason I have it in my head that Jabari had a graft from his hamstring the first time, but I don't remember that for sure, and I'm not sure what they did this time. Um, I think people may remember, you know, you can do and I, I believe it's called an allograft where it's from a cadaver. Um, I always remember Ed O'Bannon from UCLA. He had that was I just remember that like in the early '90s when I was first becoming a basketball fan, he had uh, an allograft done and and um, came back and was obviously a great college player not not a great nba player um but those those don't really seem to be done anymore for for high level athletes so um so anyway 
um, if anybody is is interested in getting into the 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 gory details and gory and gruesome, I, I'm using them and has, has multiple meanings here, but um, but that's out there. So anyway, long story short, uh, best wishes to Jabari Parker. Um, obviously, we're all rooting for him um, as as a Bucks player, but I think more importantly as a as a person who's got to go through obviously a really difficult um, rehab now. And and uh, I, I don't know. Uh, shout out to Suki Hobson and the Bucks training staff. Troy Flanagan, Tim, o, Tim O'Leary, whoever, whoever else I'm forgetting there, but um, they're they're uh, they're going to have their work cut out for them. Suki is a uh, has a background in, in rehabbing ACLs. That's I think part of the reason why she came in the first place was because Jabari had uh, was coming out the tear. So I think he's in good hands, but obviously uh, it takes a lot more than just you know the best medicine money can buy for something like this. So fingers crossed yeah and and i know i mentioned it on the podcast the other day but uh i i made sure when luke walton was in town to ask him about injuries and kind of dealing with that because as you may remember as a player he had those chronic back injuries and yeah he, he said you know you're gonna he, he said at least for me it could be different for other people he's like but i, I got into some dark places i you just kind of struggle with it because you can't you can't do everything that the team is doing you gotta rehab it yourself and i mean when we we kind of heard from jabari the first time that yeah you you do have to kind of do stuff on your own and find a way to get through it and i i just can't imagine the mental toll of doing all of that doing it all again (laughs) it's just it's it's crazy to think for someone as young as jabari to go through that process two times is uh, physically obviously it's gonna be demanding and there's very little um that we know about how a, a second acl tear on the same leg could we don't we don't know a ton about what it's going to be physically but mentally i i think we all know that it's going to be sta- it's staggering it's going to be very difficult for jabari to deal with that so we'll have to watch and and kind of see how the, all that goes and if you want to watch and see how bucks games go the best place to go is obviously SeatGeek. um this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. You can use our promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. That's L-O-Bucks for Lockdown Bucks. And I guess uh, normally this is, would be when I would tell you to, to go to the next Bucks home game, but that's that's almost 10 days away, Frank. That's not until Friday, February 24th against the Jazz when our, our guy, David Locke, he's going to be in town. So if you want a chance to to get a good view of David Locke. Maybe there's a special seat there where maybe you can get closer to the way uh, announce table um, where he may be there. Um, but I guess my, my recommendation now is go check out what the tickets look like for the all-star game at the smoothie King center, right? Like that, that's technically the next bucks bucks kind of game. Um, and looking at there's, there's, seats for under 200 um at the smoothie king center so that i don't think that's the worst i don't know i don't think seat geeks does flights uh they do a lot of things they have tickets for everything whether that's concerts um speakers i don't even know literally any event you want to go to seat geeks got you hooked up for that um but yeah you can check out the all-star game you can get tickets for that on SeatGeek, and of course use our promo code l-o-b-u-c-k-s and it, it's very simple all you gotta do is download the SeatGeek app then you go to enter a promo code enter our promo code l-o-b-u-c-k-s and you'll get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It's as simple as that, and you can use that today. Start saving with SeatGeek. 
Frank, you missed a little bit of basketball yesterday, um, so I, I was curious if you had any lingering thoughts. I, I know you listened to every second and every single thing that I said on my solo Lockdown Bucks. So is there anything I missed, anything you wanted to go over again, anything that you thought of during that last Bucks game? Uh, well, you... you uh... <laughs> You spoke for me my my lack of enthusiasm for watching the Bucks win on the backs of uh, <laughs> Be Easy. I Beezus, felt pretty confident in that. I, I was Beezus, pretty sure you Beezus felt that. Christ. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, it was it was a weird game, obviously. Um, it, it was so strange because, you know, there was tons of great ball movement in the first half in particular, but they didn't shoot well on threes. I think they were like sort of like three out of 14. And... Uh, it was, you know, mostly kind of Beasley just sort of hitting kind of difficult fadeaways, you know, long twos, things like that, kind of building, doing stuff one on one, which is impressive. Right. But it's not like the good stuff they were doing. <laughs> Moving the ball was actually leading to them scoring yeah. particularly effectively. It was kind of kind of strange. And, and it was, you know, fun to see Greg Monroe just play great basketball against his old team. I'm sure that was um, I'm sure that was fun. Um, uh, and I think, you know, Chris Middleton, um, you know, getting kind of his, his mid range game working a little bit, uh, we'd love it if that mid range game stretched a little bit out to the, to the three point line a little bit more. <laughs> um, but you know, I think you, you look at where Chris is. I mean, I, I was just looking at his per 36 numbers. He's at 15.7 assists per 36. Um, you know, he hasn't been that efficient. He's like 50% true shooting, which isn't good. But, um, you know, we're seeing these continued flashes of playmaking. He had that gorgeous lefty, you know, kind of wraparound bounce pass uh, to, Mon- yeah, to Monroe um, uh, for a layup. And, and those are just plays that, I don't know, I mean, Giannis could make that play because he can reach that far. Uh, but there, there's just nobody else maybe probably on the team that can make that play. And, uh, you know, as much as we saw Jabari kind of, ex- you know, expanding his wings a little bit as a, as a passer and playmaker, um, you know, Chris's savvy uh, in the pick and roll in particular in two man games uh, is really is really something special uh, on this team. And I think, you know, you know, again, a knock on wood, obviously, with the injury stuff. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that. Uh, I think that it's just sort of one of those things. If Chris can get up to, even if he's at you know 25 minutes per game here in the second half, you know we'll we'll see how quickly they really ramp him up. But if he's somewhere in that range, I think he's at 18 right now. Um, you know, if he's if he's making plays like this and his shooting comes around a little bit, he doesn't have to be the old Chris Middleton. Um, I, I think that even with Jabari sort of raw numbers being as impressive as they were. Um, you know, I don't see why that trade. And again, I don't want to call it call it a trade because obviously you don't want to make that swap. But, um, but again, like, are the Bucks going to be worse off for that? I don't think so, especially because I think Middleton just comes with a kind of a higher baseline just from a defensive awareness perspective. Even if he's not, you know, physically 100 percent there, um, he's definitely going to, I think, give you more than Jabari just from an overall defensive perspective. So, um, so it's it's an interesting situation. Um, I don't know, and and it's weird, right? I mean, Bucks have two straight wins, and they're going for a third. And I, we talked about, you know, we we were hoping uh, in many ways that Giannis could go into this All Star break feeling like the Bucks were were back on track a little bit, so he didn't have to be miserable. 
uh, at All Star <laughs> Weekend, or they didn't have to be looking around thinking like, "Oh man, my team sucks." Like, uh, I feel, <laughs> feel inadequate being around all these guys. But um, but the Bucks have a chance to move within what a half game of the Pistons tomorrow. And um, actually, even I didn't check if the Pistons were playing, but um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, with this team, like like I said a little while ago. Sort of, we're at the position where if they lose, I'll tweet lottery standings. If they win, I'll tweet playoff standings. Because <laughs> to be honest, night to night, both kind of continue to remain very relevant. Yeah, I think that's kind of the interesting thing with that. I mean, you look at seven, eight, nine, and ten. Uh, those seem like the four teams that are going to compete for the seven and eight spot in the East. Um, Miami's at eleven. The Knicks are at twelve. I, I don't imagine any world where Miami continues to, to play as well as they have. Um, this seems like maybe a, a bit of a blip and uh, Pat Riley may do some things to make them a little bit worse. Um, but you look at the bulls at seven, 26 and 29, the Pistons at eight, 26 and 30, the bucks at nine, 24 and 30, and then Charlotte at 10 at 24 and 31. Those seem like your four teams that are going to kind of go back and forth. And yeah, like you said, there, there was a stretch of games where the Bucks played absolutely terrible, and we both kind of thought that, all right, this is going to kind of tell us how the season would go. But at the exact same time, half the Eastern Conference decided to do the exact same thing as the Bucks. That there was some really bad basketball played from really a bunch of those teams. So it, it does look like the Bucks are going to continue to be in it, quote unquote. Um, but like you said. A loss, okay. Let's look at the lottery standings and a win. Let's look at the playoff standings. Uh, so that's going to be interesting with Middleton. I I did think there was sequences in in that last game where he looked positively Chris Middleton, absolutely what you expect Chris Middleton to look like. Dribble moves with a shimmy and a fadeaway jumper, uh, a post up turnaround jumper. Th- that pass uh, that you mentioned, there, there's moments offensively where he looks exactly like you'd expect Chris Middleton to look. Defensively, um, like I mentioned on uh, yesterday's podcast, that you know at times. I think, like you said, his awareness is good enough that he's always pretty much going to be in the right position. It's just a matter of whether or not he gets there quick enough. And the other night I was talking to him in the locker room that there was there was a couple plays where you could see he knew exactly where he needed to be. He knew when to get there to get the steal, and yet he was just a little bit slow and a ball goes through his hands or it just tips off his hands and still gets to the offensive player and and he said like i'm i'm close like i i'm making all the right reads i'm feeling like i'm i'm doing the right thing and i know that i am i'm i'm just a little bit slow there yet so um, i i think we're going to continue to see that uh improve and i i really do think that's Man, he's he's getting closer and closer. We don't really know what his minutes limit is going to be uh, going forward, and we we've seen what I think almost twenty minutes in this last game. Um, and after the game, kids said one of the big things they wanted to do was stretch him out and see how long of a period he could play. And I, I think during that time, he played about eleven minutes straight. Um, and they said that's kind of 
the next step in figuring out how many minutes you can allocate to him is if he can stretch out for that longer period of time, then you can do some more things with him and uh, he can feel more comfortable playing with that injury um, and more confident as well. So um, we'll we'll continue to see where that goes, but uh, certainly encouraging signs in that last game. Yeah, and I think it's interesting with Chris being in that second unit right now because we talked a lot last year about the sort of um, – uh, pick and roll pairings of, of Middleton and Moose versus Giannis and Plumley. You know, there, mm-hmm. there were kind of some parallels in terms of different styles and and you know different guys working well with different with different players. And uh, you know, one of the upsides of of bringing Chris off the bench is that and and we'll be we should see how long this kind of lasts because I think there's some there are some arguments to do it tactically because again of of chris being comfortable with greg monroe in that second unit uh and playing well with him and uh you know obviously have you know chris and moose were like you know well before bragro there was chris and moose um and by the way, I'm I love Marcus Johnson. I'm I, I'm I can't get I, I I Bruce Brothers. I'm I'm just Come on, it's not happening, dude. It's, it's not working for me. It's I just I gotta I gotta stick with Bragro, especially because it allows me to do my uh, Scooby Doo voice, um, <laughs> which which is obviously a priority. Um, so uh, so I think that that'll be interesting to watch. The one thing, the one thing I'm kind of torn on. I mean, obviously in a game like the Pistons game. You know, it's difficult to question Beasley starting because, I mean, he was great and Giannis was kind of deferential and then, um, you know, didn't really get going. Uh, I mean, nobody's going to argue with Beasley starting that game. I do kind of wonder, though, um, and and it's probably less of a big deal with, with Middleton now in the second unit with uh, with Moose, but um, I don't know. My, part of me just sort of feels like, well, Toledovich is so obviously the guy to kind of just play off Giannis's playmaking, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you have Thon, who's very active defensively, you know, do you want to put Toledovich, Giannis and Thon out there together as a starting lineup and then, you know, bring in the the second unit kind of just quickly because obviously you don't, you know, you don't need Mirza playing tons and tons of minutes, but I don't know. I mean, I think part of it also is Beasley can guard small forwards more easily than than uh Mirza and I, I you know I think we're both pro Giannis playing power forwards and, and sort of being near, near to the basket so I, I don't know I mean whatever they've won a couple games in a row keep doing what you're gonna do but um but I do like to, I, one thing I would want to see is I would want to see um Toledovich come in for for Beasley earlier um just to you know and again if he's hot that's one thing but um, but I do like seeing Toledovich get minutes with Giannis. I think we saw that in the in the Indiana game, obviously. I think part of it, too, with Beasley is that, sure, he can guard small forwards a little bit easier, but also Beasley's offensive skills don't really fit with anyone. <laughs> like, if we're just being honest, like, Beasley's at his best when bad basketball is being played. There's not much flow. There's not much rhythm and you need to get shots up. Like he's incredible at that. And you know what, you know what he's like, have you ever seen like in the, uh, like in the Arctic, they've got those like Russian icebreaker ships or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like stuff's frozen and like you can't move or whatever. And then just this thing just comes wrecking through and like comes through. That's what I think of Beasley. Like when things are just shot to hell and there's no ball movement, it's like, Hey, guess let's, what? Let's go. Michael Beasley let's break it up. can get, Michael Beasley can get down with that. Just throwing the ball, you know, 20 feet from the hoop. He'll kind of like 
grab it, look around, kind of survey what's going on. And then he'll use the fact that he's extremely skilled to go get himself a bucket. I mean, he might be the most talented one-on-one player on this team, right? I mean, if you kind of exclude like Moose in the post, but just, you know, if you had to give the ball to anybody 20 feet from the hoop to just get a bucket against somebody, obviously Giannis is the most talented player, but in terms of like combining mid-range skill and, you know, ambidextrous and all this other stuff, um, I don't know. Beasley's probably right there. I'd have to double check what his what his ISO stats are this year, but uh, no question the guy can can get buckets as you said yesterday. No, and and I do think you're right. Beasley and Monroe. That and, and it kind of makes sense that I, I would kind of classify the game against the Pistons as an ugly type game. Like the, I wouldn't say there was a ton of rhythm and flow in that one, and and that's both due to the Pistons playing some ugly basketball and the Bucks playing some ugly basketball. So to me, it intuitively it makes sense that the two guys that can go out and get buckets one-on-one would would kind of thrive in that setting um so i don't don't know that that's always the thing i struggle with 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 beasley is you're trying to figure out and find a balance between okay we need someone with this unit that can create for themselves and Beasley doesn't really create for others just for himself like you need shot creation but then at the same time, how much shot creation do you actually want? Like, is it better that all of the shot creation with the starters is on Giannis? Like, I don't think that's the worst thing. Um, maybe on the backside, you can have a guy like Delhi that can try to make some plays off of Giannis's action. But to put a heavier load on Giannis playmaking-wise, I'm pretty cool with that. Um, but then all of a sudden, you move Beasley to that second unit and... Well, I kind of want to see Chris Middleton get those playmaking reps. I want to see Greg Monroe get those playmaking reps. Heck, I even want to see Malcolm Brogdon get some of those playmaking reps. So, I do. I, it's really Beasley's gift and his curse. Like his gift is getting buckets, but so rarely does that bucket getting fit into the, a larger scheme, a larger offense. Yeah, and to put some numbers to this, so Beasley leads the Bucks in post scoring efficiency he's 1.21 points per play uh 10 of his possessions he's in the 96th percentile in the nba in points per play in the post um monroe is way down there he's 0.88 45th percentile Giannis, if for those wondering is 0.96 which is 67th percentile so that's pretty good uh jabari 82nd percentile 1.04 so that's encouraging good. john henson john henson 1.03 Nice job, John Henson. Give You're him in the 79th percentile. Um, and if you look at the ISO numbers, um, generally much worse uh, in terms of like bucks relative to league ranks. Monroe, same in ISO as in uh, the post, which probably is kind of fitting because basically isolations are probably just where he starts facing mm. up. You know, I'm guessing uh, 0.88, same number. Uh, 55th percentile though, because ISOs, uh, it's it's generally more difficult, I guess. And Beasley second, 0. 0.80, 44th percentile. So he isn't, he actually isn't good. <laughs> he isn't good in the grand scheme of things, but um, he's better than than everybody but Monroe. And for those wondering, uh, Giannis 0.76, that's 33rd percentile, not good. Um, in isolation, Jabari 0. 0.73, that's 30th percentile in isolation. Um, so. Anyway, just to give people people some reference on uh, on on where these guys rank, so I, I think that more or less kind of supports the idea of we know who who can just go get you buckets. Last game of the pre All Star break schedule it is against the Brooklyn Nets. It, w- it is in Brooklyn. Um, this sh- no, 
I don't like using that that should word. Um, must win. Must win. <laughs> this this seems like a game. It sucks where, to lose. It sucks to lose. Let's be honest. It would be a sucks to lose game. Not, you know? Right. It, it absolutely has to be. Like the the Nets are that bad that it, it would be a sucks to lose. Right. Like I'm not out of line calling it that. No, I think it's absolutely a sucks to lose, especially because you'll have you know ten days to think about it. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting game. And again, you know, this team could tip kind of any direction. But if you look at the the rot you know sort of the 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 schedule they have ahead of them um i think it absolutely is a you know kind of a, a game that, that you need to win and again if you don't look the eastern conference isn't going to run away from you so a, a true must win the, the the season isn't over tomorrow if they lose but um obviously if you want to you know make a credible case for this team actually being a threat to do anything of relevance um you know, these are the kind of wins that that you need to pull off, and um, they they haven't taken advantage of of their their home games so far this year, fourteen to fourteen. So being able to come in on the road and get a win against a bad team, um, obviously that would be valuable. And I guess what they've won two in a row now on the road as well. I guess yeah. Phoenix and and uh, and Indiana. So. Uh, I don't know. I, I will not claim to understand what the hell is going on with this basketball <laughs> team, but um, but who knows? Maybe they're getting a little bit more comfortable away from home. Um, some quick numbers for you. The Brooklyn Nets have won exactly one of their last 24 games. They are 29. I didn't realize it was, I didn't realize it was that bad. They wow. started off the season 8-22. They are now 9-46. So, the, I mean, this is this is a bad basketball team. Uh, so one of their last 24, they're 29th in offensive rating. They're 26th in defensive rating. And yet they are first in pace. And actually, Frank, I want to talk to you about this. So Matt Velasquez and I were having this conversation the other night. And we were talking about, man, how bad are the Nets? And one thing I'm kind of fascinated with, with, the the analytics movement and uh, kind of rebuilding, tanking, et cetera, all those conversations, is that bad basketball teams don't try to slow the game down anymore. The, like Their goal is to get as many reps for their young players as possible, see as much of their young players as possible, so they try to push the pace. And, and it, I don't know, it just, it, it seemed... For winning games, it makes absolutely no sense. I, I guess for getting to see guys, it makes sense. But I just think of like the Suns pushing the pace, Lakers pushing the pace, Nets pushing the pace, the all of the trust the process Sixers pushing the pace, and and it's all to to see their guys and get them more reps and do those things. But good God, you don't have a chance to win a basketball game when you're giving a better team than you way more possessions every night it's just it's it's kind of fascinating to me because how bad teams play the game of basketball has changed significantly i feel like in three years or am i crazy no i think that makes sense. i mean i think i imagine part of it is there's probably pressure from the organization to be like hey okay if you're gonna suck like at least be fast so it's sort of entertaining so we can maybe <laughs> sell some tickets to people and not just you know subject you know our home fans to you know 78 to 73 rock fights um Although I suppose in today's NBA, you know, there really aren't teams that that do that anymore so much. Uh, so, so that might be part of it too. Just sort of the fact that it's so hard to play to play grinded out style basketball. Yeah. I mean, if 
if defensively, if you could just force teams to a shot clock violation and that would be a slow pace, but guess what? That's really, really hard to do. Yeah. So it's really just kind of a question of, of offense, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think obviously if you're bad, um, you know, lowering the number of possessions makes sense because it turns it into, um, you know, it means that everyone is worth more and there's more sort of volatility and, you know, Mm -hmm. again, um, more likely that or less likely that the, the best team will come out on top in theory, I guess. Um, and it does make sense, though, that a team like the Nets shoots tons of threes, right? They're, um, they shoot 32 threes per game. Um, you know, I'm looking at basketball reference. They has them as third in three-point attempts, fifth in May. Although, I find these basketball reference ranking of team stats, I think they're based off of totals rather than averages, which is, like, not what I like to use um, during a season. But anyway, um, but they shoot, they do shoot a ton of threes. They're not great at them. They're 26 in, in percentage. Um, but it does make sense. I and mean, we've talked about how shooting threes is valuable, even if you don't make a, a high, really high percentage. And especially if you're a bad team like the Nets, it, it certainly can make some, some sense. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting that a team like this, you know, they kind of started off somewhat promisingly, but obviously things have, have kind of gone, gone down the tubes and, um, they are horrible at offense 29th. They are horrible at defense 26th. Um, so again, this is a team that, uh, you know, if you're a Bucks team, that's I think 11th in offense and 21st in defense right now, uh, you're coming off your first non horrible, uh, defensive game in what, 20 games or something like that. <laughs> um, which, you know, again, I'm, I'm not going to give the Bucks too much credit because, uh, the some, Pacers point, game, I would give them more credit for that would be more yeah, impressive. Yeah, although I mean their their defensive rating wasn't great against Indiana, right? But it did seem like they played a better defensive game. Um I just don't like watching Detroit. Like they ugh, they disgust yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. Eh, you know, whatever. Um <laughs> sorry. But uh but I you know, at some point you're gonna not give up hundred points and, and obviously it was it was uh, yesterday and, and interesting too. I watched the end of the Pistons comeback against Toronto, which was the day before they had to go to Milwaukee. And I remember thinking like, you know, I'm not rooting for the Pistons to win because obviously the Pistons are, you know, right ahead of the Bucs in the playoff rankings. And I can't help but still root for the Bucs, even though I am totally also down with optimizing draft picks. So I'm, I'm just, you know, very contradictory right now. But you're conflicted. Uh, I'm very conflicted. But I remember thinking when the Pistons won that game and they did you know, come back from 16 points in the fourth quarter, hit a bunch of good shot, big shots late. I remember thinking, this is probably good for the Bucks tomorrow because I feel like the Pistons <laughs> are going to come in. They're still a young team. They're going to be all high off of this com- big comeback win and they're probably going to just kind of fall flat a bit um, in, in Milwaukee or at least they're going to test the Bucks' ability to give up, you know, 30 points every first quarter. And sure enough, you know, they come out and, and don't have a good first half uh, offensively at all. And, and obviously that that really played into the Bucks' hands overall. So, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Bucks on paper, at least they're, I was just looking at the uh, 538 projections. They're right now projected to win 37 games. Um which puts them at a 36% chance of making the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, that's something. That's actually slightly slightly higher than the Hornets, who are at 36, but behind the Pistons, who are projected at 39 wins. So, food for thought. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how this team evolves. I, I I make no attempt to predict how this team will play, but um, obviously. Uh, We'll take it one game at a time, and the next one is a very winnable game in Brooklyn. All right, that's going to be it for us. We officially have a sucks to lose tomorrow, 
or I guess tonight, technically, for uh, this game in Brooklyn. Uh, it's an S2L. It's an S2L. It is an S2L. We got, we got B, B2Bs. We got SEGA, <laughs> BAA, whatever, the Sega, Sega Baba. Baba, yeah. Sega Baba, second game of back-to-backs, and now we have ST, S2Ls. So, sucks to lose. Yeah, this is an S2L. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so, we'll see if the Bucks can pull out that one. We will certainly talk to you after it. Um, this episode of Lockdown Bucks has been brought to you by SeatGeek. Of course, use our promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. That's L-O-Bucks for Lockdown Bucks. And you can get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So take advantage of that today. That was Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. We're back. I, I got to see Frank again. I got to talk to Frank again. I'm a happy man. Uh, so we will see you tomorrow after the Nets uh, Bucks game, and we'll see if they can come out in, with a win. It's an S2L, so hopefully they can. We will talk to you tomorrow.